Hello, this is Alex Granado, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Sarah Crawford. She is National Education Director for Single Stop. Sarah, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So first, I'm going to have you tell our listeners who might not know about Single Stop, yeah. what Single Stop is and what you all do here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you um, so much. So Single Stop um, is a tool uh, by which we can connect people uh, who are low income to resources. Um, So Single Stop, I should probably start out by telling you a little bit about where Single Stop started, um, and that'll give a fuller picture of, of what it all encompasses. So Single Stop started as a project of the Robin Hood Foundation in Manhattan with the idea that there are millions, 43 million people living in poverty across the country and billions of dollars of resources available to people, but the issue really is a matter of logistics. How do you connect people who really are in need to those resources, both public benefits and those local helping agencies, um, to those resources that can help them get a better footing to do things like get an education, get a good job, and eventually achieve financial self-sufficiency. So we set out in 2001 as this project of this uh, larger organization to figure out how to do that. And through a number of iterations, what we um, ended up doing is creating a technology tool that acts as a benefit screener and a local resources map. And it also has a case management tool for those um, frontline providers uh, to manage uh, client cases over time to really help do advocacy and support for people who are needing those types of benefits. And we started working in community-based organizations. And it was going, our work was going so well that in 2007, we rolled out as our own nonprofit organization and um, we're, we were working across, really across Manhattan. And one of the community college presidents in Manhattan said, a lot of our students are utilizing single stop offices in local nonprofits. We think we should have a single stop here. So that's how our college initiative got started, was the vision of a president who said, wait a minute, we can offer these services here on campus. Why don't we just do that? And so we said, sure, we'll try that out. And so in 2009, we started our college initiative and um, have been working with colleges, partnering with colleges since um, that time to provide this tech tool, the case management program uh, to help colleges connect students to resources so that they can do things like not drop out or stop out of school, stay in school and get their degree um, or their certificate, whatever they might be um, working to working uh, to do. So. So you, you touched on it a little bit in your explanation there, but um, on a college campus, for instance, mm-hmm. what kind of students would we see taking advantage of this? Yeah, so, um, you know, one thing that I'll say is that uh, the notion of that traditional college student is really changing. And there's a lot of literature um, on this about how uh, the demographics of today's college student is changing. Number one, we have more women, we have more diversity, we have older students, we have students who have, um, who may be parents, single parents, um, in fact. So, um, so the, the folks that you might see kind of coming through the single stop office, um, they might be students who are Pell eligible. They might be um, students who are first generation college students who maybe um, don't have that support network at home that can really help them navigate um, their educational career. Um, they might be single parents. Um, they might be adults who are kind of re-entering their college career to get some additional training, maybe looking at a career change or some additional training that can help them uh, get a job. Maybe they've been out of work for a while. Um, 
a lot of students, and again, we know this from literature, um, there are a lot more students than we think that are uh, facing uh, food insecurity or housing insecurity. And so um, it might be the student that you you wouldn't think needs resources, but maybe they're having some sort of emergency need or a long-term need that they need help addressing. And so uh, take, take me through what it would look like on a college mm-hmm. campus. Let's say you are the student, you, you have this need, somebody tells you about single stop, uh, they find the office. Yeah. What, what happens from there? Yeah, so when the student first kind of interacts with the single stop office, um, I I would venture a guess, um, and I worked on a student on a campus at one point um, in student services, Um, most students are not coming into Uh, these offices going, I am really trying to think about my financial future and the next two or four years and how I'm going to afford everything. Um, Typically what is happening is that they're coming in in distress. So they have an immediate need. They're about to get evicted. Their car broke down. Their childcare situation changed and now they don't have daycare for their children. Um, Any number of things. They've been living in their car and they're on the verge of dropping out of school because of that. Uh, So a lot of times you'll see students who are coming in 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 crisis. So what happens at the single stop office is that the folks in that office who work in that office, and it can range from one people to three people to as many people as the college wants to have in that office who are providing these services, uh, the single stop office will work to triage that student's immediate need. Maybe they need food tonight. Maybe there's a food pantry on campus. Maybe there's a food pantry that they partner with in the community. The the single stop office triages that immediate need. And then you can open it up for conversation to say, let's look at what else might be going on. So there's kind of this emergency issue, but then there's this um, attempt to mitigate for future challenges to try to set that student up so that they have a few more supports so that maybe they don't have to come back in and continue having emergency challenges. And so um, that's kind of what will happen. So um, the person in the single stop office could say, you know, let's let's take a look. Do you want to do a screening and see what else you might be eligible for? And so they can open up the screener and do what we call a facilitated screening. The screening takes about 15 minutes um, if you're savvy with web forms. And so a counselor could sit down. It asks information about the students' uh, students' own financial situation, their income, their expenses, any special circumstances that they might have. It asks about people in their household that may be either contributing to or detracting from their income. So maybe it's a spouse or a partner um, or a parent. Maybe it's an elderly grandparent that they're having to pay for some outside support in the home uh, to to take care of some needs that that person might have or a child. Uh, So really anything that's really contributing to or detracting from income. Uh, And then um, you get a profile report that tells you uh, with with pretty certain accuracy what you might be eligible for. So um, we screen currently in North Carolina for SNAP, WIC, earned income tax credit, and supplemental health insurance. Um, So you go through the screening, you get a profile complete report, um, and then you're um, invited to browse local resources. So we work with our college partners to build out the local resources that are available in that area so that if a student has a need that is maybe outside of those public benefits that we currently screen for, they can find some other supports. Maybe they need shelter, a food pantry, which I mentioned, maybe they need some immigration assistance. They can find 
find other local supports that can um, add to and supplement what they might get in public benefits. And a lot of times, as we know, public benefits don't get approved and received overnight. So, um, so that's kind of what will happen. Now, the single stop office can also provide things like documentation assistance, advocacy, maybe a student gets wrongfully denied for their food stamps and they need some advocacy assistance to uh, get, that, uh, get that approval so the student can get what they are eligible for. And, um, and so the single stop office can provide that. A lot of times students will come back in and um, maybe they, they are bringing a friend with them, a friend who's in need. So, um, so really we try to um, promote a lot of outreach as well on campus so that students know that this is a service that's available at their institution. It's interesting because this is a notion that I think uh, we're seeing more in K through 12 education, but was kind of more apparent in higher education first, which mm -hmm. is that uh, the outcome or, or the success of somebody in the educational setting has more to do with than what happens in the classroom or in the the school building yeah. or that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, uh, income is the number one predictor of graduation. And in college. And so if you look at a student who has the exact same SAT score in the upper income quartile, they're something like 20 percentage points more likely to graduate within six years, which is how we measure this or how national statistics measures this, um, than a student who's in the lower income quartile. It's pretty incredible. So if we can infuse a little bit of money to get students over the hump. And what we're finding is that it's between two or $300 that can really make a difference. Um, the Gates Foundation is doing a lot of work around um, emergency aid and why students are dropping out and how we can uh, get students kind of an infusion of cash assistance or some other form of assistance that maybe is uh, equates to cash like food or something like that. Um, how can we get them assistance? And what they're finding is that um, emergencies that cost $1,500 or less are preventing students from graduating. So you think about that kind of in this in a in a micro scale, right? Like $1,500 just isn't that much money, and a lot of times it's a lot less than $1,500 that's preventing a student from graduating. You look at the trajectory of people who graduate. If income's the number one predictor of graduation, the number one predictor of social and economic mobility is an education. So, um, so we can do quite a bit with not a, a lot of money. So it may seem self-evident, but I think it's worth kind of laying out the details. Why is this kind of work so important? Oh, well, uh, you know, if we, if we really want to start uh, to, to change generational poverty, um, we really need to focus on education, whether that's K through 12 or college education. Um, Single Stop is obviously right now focused on the post-secondary world. And um, our vision for our work in education, and, and we have an, another sector of our work that is focused on nonprofits. Um, I, I obviously oversee our education work. Um, and our vision is to promote education as the pathway out of poverty by ensuring that every child and adult 
who wants to go to college has the resources they need to complete college. Um, and our part of that is not the tuition or the scholarship. Our part of that is how do we supplement traditional financial aid or those traditional um, financial models with this whole safety net? We really like to think of it as a trampoline, um, a trampoline of resources that are available to people. Um, and this work is important, um, again, breaking down generational poverty, um, getting people out of poverty, getting them jobs. Um, we, you build communities when you get people out of poverty, right? If people are getting jobs, they become taxpaying citizens, which lifts up the entire community. It brings services into the community um, that all people need. Uh, so you can really start to see communities transform. And if you look at what's happening across um, North Carolina, I mean, that's, Charlotte has the whole Opportunity Task Force now, right? Because, um, because of this issue that they said, oh my gosh, we're not we're not actually solving the problem here. In fact, it's getting worse. And so how do we do this? So um, communities are really looking at this. And so you all are in regular four-year institutions and community colleges, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So um, our focus in 2009 when we started our work in education was really on community colleges. Uh, but we um, began in 2015 working with four-year colleges as well. So um, we are currently at four four-year institutions um, out of the 30 institutions where we currently partner. Um, and those four years, we have two in North Carolina, Winston-Salem State University and Johnson C. Smith University, both HBCUs. And then we have um, UMass Boston and we have John Jay College of Criminal Justice, which is also four-year up in uh, New York. And so often students who attend a four-year university or a community college may have different uh, goals in mind mm -hmm. in, in attending those institutions. Mm -hmm. uh, does the setting change at all the challenges you all face? Um, so in terms of... Uh, the challenges that students might be facing. I think we have a lot of evidence that says it doesn't doesn't matter. Two year, four year, urban, rural, private, public. Um, the the challenge, particularly among uh, food insecurity and housing insecurity is across the board. And there's some interesting research that's come out from Sarah Goldrick Rabb at Temple University uh, that, that proves this, that it doesn't matter. Um, so the challenge for students is there regardless. Um, and you talk to people in the private, private university world, and um, I think there are a lot of assumptions made because tuition might be higher, they might be pulling from a different set of demographics, but there are a lot of institutions who are still at 40% or higher of Pell-eligible students on their campuses at these private institutions. So I think we really need to break down those stigmas. Um, in terms of the utility of single stop, what I will say about that um, is there's a difference um, between uh, residential campuses and non-residential campuses. So. Um, uh, and usually that means the difference of whether or not somebody can claim you as a dependent, um, right? So if somebody can claim you as a dependent, your eligibility for public benefits is drastically reduced. Um, and, and there are other factors that, that play into that. Um, but what we're talking to a lot of the, our partners about is how do they want to serve the student's family? So if that's the case, do they want to open up this benefit screener and this support to the family? That's an interesting question for institutions, right? Because they're really there to serve the student. Do they have the capacity to serve the family? And I think as um, this isn't necessarily single stops um, role to figure this out, but I think we're part of the equation in really opening up the conversation of um, 
not just a holistic approach to student success, but the holistic approach to the family success. Because uh, if you have a student who is coming in, they maybe they're a dependent, maybe they're not. Regardless, they might, whatever money they get, they might have to be sending at home, right, wherever that is for them. And so um, it doesn't really matter how much money you put into that student's pocket if they're going to be sending at home. So we really have to start to break this open and talk about holistic support across the board. That leads into my next question, which is, you know, these are issues and challenges that aren't going away or necessarily going to be solved anytime soon. So what does the future of, of this space that you're in look like? So based on what I've seen, um, there are a lot more campuses that are really trying to crack down on, on meeting student need. Um, so there's been um, kind of the shift in higher education from all we do is academics, right? We are not here to be a social service agency for these students. Um, there's also been the stigma that uh, hunger is a rite of pass passage, or like for college students, like being a hungry college kid or a poor college kid is some somehow a rite of passage, um, right? But being the poor college kid that I was at NC State University with two working parents who could support me and financial aid that was enough to cover what I needed um, is very different than being a poor college student who has no choice but to live in my car or has no choice but to couch surf, um, who has no supports at home. And so um, we really have to let go of that being a poor college student as a rite of passage because hunger and homelessness should never be a rite of passage. So, um, and I think you're really starting to see many campuses across the country, um, of campuses in, in higher education, embrace this idea that we have to support the whole student. Um, when you see statistics that are showing students are dropping out or stopping out at pretty alarming rates, I mean, out of the 21 million or so students that will enter into higher education over the next year, 40% of them don't make it to graduation, right? So when they're dropping out or stopping out at those high rates, um, campus presidents and VPs and certainly student services should take note of that, um, and they are. And so they're starting to create these, um, these student-centered student approaches, um, whether single stop is involved or not, um, which is really encouraging to see. And it's not universal yet, uh, but I think we're getting there. So I think the future of this work is to really figure out how we support today's student and how we look ahead 10, 20 years into the future about what that student is going to look like and what they're going to need based on trends across the country in terms of income inequality, what jobs are available. Um, there's also a huge um, push that we're going to have a um, massive labor shortage um, in, in not that much time. So how do we keep students in school and get them the vocational, some sort of vocational training that they need so they can be ready for those jobs. Um, so, so looking at those trends, I think you're starting to see campuses really start to think about that. There's work um, going on um, in particular in California around this, around um, really uh, building campuses so that so that they are completely 100% student-centered. Um, and so uh, if we can take examples of that and bring that to other college districts, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for that.
So we've kind of talked about the need for these services that you're talking about, but give me some sort of concrete understanding of what the need is out there and what, what the support you guys have given is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's tremendous need and, um, uh, you know, again, research points to this uh, pressing need of college students and needs not being met. And so you have more than 40% of students who are entering college who are not making it to their degree. Um, so, so there's no doubt the need is out there. And um, over the course of Singles Top's work in both our CBO space, our community-based organization space, as well as our education space, Single Stop services have connected over 1.5 million households to $4 billion in resources, which is tremendous. Again, we didn't create any new resources. These are all public resources or local helping agencies that already exist. It's just a matter of helping those individuals navigate to those resources. So 1.5 million households, not people, 1.5 million households to $4 billion in benefits and resources. And then you look at that specific to the education sector, we've done a number of studies to look at um, whether or not our program is supporting students in their academic success. And we had a study come out in November of 2016 that was done by RAND Corporation. And they looked at several institutions in the CUNY system, Delgado Community College um, and Miami-Dade College, as well as Bunker Hill Community College up in uh, Massachusetts. And what we found is that students who utilize single stop compared to their peers who didn't, and we did propensity score matching to match them demographically, students who utilize single stop were more likely to attempt more credits, have higher GPAs, and had retention rates of six to 11 percentage points higher than their peers who didn't. We talked to institutions across the country and several have said that in order to justify having this program on their campus, they need to increase retention by two percentage points. And our program model proves that we increase it six to 11% or single stop users are more likely to persist um, at rates of six to 11 percentage points higher. So um, there's incredible, not, not only outputs, but outcomes in this work. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you, it was a pleasure to be here. We've been talking with Sarah Crawford. She is the National Education Director of Single Stop. And I'm Alex Granados, Senior Reporter for Education NC. And you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>